0: everyone to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Ramia Wazir. She is the CTO and founder of Live on AI. Welcome Ramia.
1: Thank you, Ronke. I'm really
0: excited to be on this
1: podcast with you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: And thank you for joining and I'm also really excited because the topic today is AI, which is one of the topics that is on top of mind for I think everyone at the moment. And your company is called Livand AI, and you're the founder. Tell me a little bit about your story that led to, to founding this company.
1: Okay. So I will try not to go too far back, but just a little bit of background. Actually, I'm a I'm a mathematician. And a few years ago, when that became popular, I was a data scientist and I generally liked to work with NGOs and civil society organizations, trying to bring data science tools to provide social impact. Mm -hmm. And while I was doing that, I, I very quickly realized that, well, you can intend to do well, but you don't actually know if you're doing well um, until you've checked the quality of your product. And, and I realized there, there isn't really a way to check that. There is no standard, there's no best practice. Uh, and, and a lot of these tools that we're throwing out there and saying they're AI, it's based on math, it's computer science, it's objective. Actually, it's not. And, and so from, from there is a quick step to saying, well, I want to do well with it, then let me make sure the AI actually works and works well for everyone. And, and I was very lucky. I met my co-founder, who, who's coming from a social science background. She's an innovation expert. And we said, well, that's great. We can combine technical knowledge with, with social science expertise. And instead of of doing these kinds of isolated, fix this little thing and fix that little thing, we we can try to look at the whole AI system lifecycle and approach it from many different perspectives.
0: So we're right in the center of what I think should be the main discussion around AI at the moment, and it's not unfortunately, and that is ethics and data quality in these new tools we're building. And just a little anecdote on the side, because like, not this weekend, but the weekend before, I was using MidJourney. And I'm pretty sure you're aware what MidJourney is. They generate image. And you would assume that since it was trained with this large amount of data uh, from uh, the entire internet, it would be kind of uh, representative of what the internet is, uh, the global community. But what I found was that when you ask MidJourney to imagine, that's the prompt you give it, imagine something, imagine an astronaut, imagine a mathematician, for example, that was one of the examples I you imagine a doctor, the, what you got was pictures of white men. And that has led me to, to question the quality of these models that we're using or the algorithm. Personally, I'm not um, a specialist on AI, but what I understand is that there is ways to first look at the data and then also tweak the algorithm to give different results, right? So I'm wondering why are we not having this discussion about who is being represented in these tools and, and what is the quality of the data we are using? What is the quality of the answers we are getting? So I'm really intrigued what you are doing with this technology.
1: Well. So I have to say the experience you've had is unfortunately not an isolated one. And something that I actually, when I, when I give a talk, something I like to make people do say, interactively, take your favorite online translation tool and ask it to translate the sentence. My doctor is pregnant from English into German. And. The answer is funny, <laughs> but it, it also very quickly shows you the kinds of biases and that are embedded in AI systems. And one of the first things I want to tell people is this has very little to do with the AI system itself, and it has very much to do with the people behind the AI system. and this is a point that we should never forget. Even though it looks mechanical, it looks like a machine, it, it, people can throw formulas at you. Fundamentally, everything from deciding what kind of algorithm to produce, deciding which data is going in, deciding what kinds of features are important, which ones are not Deciding what categories an algorithm is supposed to divide people into, and and even deciding where it gets deployed. So there are very interesting examples where some people get judged by an AI system, but other people get judged by humans. Yes. So all of these things, let's remember that it's, it's human beings making these choices, making these decisions. And well, our biases will flow into that for
0: sure. And that's an interesting thing, because I think because it's about data, it's about mathematics, it's about statistics, people seem to think it cannot be biased. I I mentioned that I felt that the the Mid-journey was biased and I th- thought that there was something wrong with the algorithm. Of course, there's also something wrong maybe with the training data, but I also felt there was something wrong with the algorithm and someone attacked me for that because the algorithms are not biased and I'm not sh- I'm not enough of an expert to actually say anything about it. But I do feel that if you have certain, just certain people developing these tools, there will be a bias in the way the algorithm works. Because obviously they will not be aware of certain issues they are creating when, when they are, I don't know, when the decoder creates the output, they will not see that there is something wrong with the way it's doing it. What, uh, what do you think? Well,
1: there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of, let's say, disagreement about what particular phrases or even words mean. So mm-hmm. if you're talking to an engineer and you tell them your algorithm is biased, well, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to you as it does to the engineer who's listening to you. Mm-hmm. And, and number one issue, bias. If you're talking to engineers, they might be thinking statistical bias. And number two issue is, well, what exactly do you mean by Let's even assume you're both talking about bias in terms of prejudice. What exactly do you mean when you say the algorithm is biased? Now, it could be the algorithm is biased because uh, they, when they were designing the algorithm, they looked at the wrong features. They used features which are common, let's say, in the Western world, but they're not common in other parts of the world. I think like one example I often heard of is trying to look at pictures of weddings and telling the algorithm to identify a white dress. Mm -hmm. Works fine if you're going to do this kind of wedding identification on Western weddings is not going to work if you use that algorithm in other parts of the world. So. The choice to make the algorithm focus on white dress was a human choice. The result is a biased algorithm. Now, are you going to say this is a biased algorithm or are you going to say, well, the algorithm has sort of taken up the biases of the engineers and the people who, who uh, designed it? So fundamentally you might actually be a, even agree with the other person but you you end up in these long discussions because mm. you don't actually have a common vocabulary.
0: I love that you brought that up because I think that's one of the main issues that we have especially between technical people and lay people but we also have that between different technical people, we tend to underestimate that because obviously, as I said, I'm not an an AI specialist, I'm in cybersecurity, but of course I'm very interested. But since I'm not a specialist, I will obviously phrase certain things differently than someone who is. Um, And as you said, we could be talking about the same thing, but completely misunderstanding. And that will lead to discussions that might actually lead to not being able to, to, know get to the real point of the issue uh, because we um, don't have the same vocabulary. And I, I, I wonder, how, how do you address that when you talk to people?
1: That's a really great question. and and fundamentally, the, the first step is to even be aware that this problem exists. It, it's amazing how how many times I've seen sort of arguments arise, because people weren't even aware that they're using different words to talk about the same thing. And 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 the way to overcome this is to engage with people with different backgrounds and, and discuss with them. But another thing that's that's happening now is also a standardization effort. So for example, I'm very involved in the international standards organization and in the european standards organizations and what is happening in these organizations is we're starting from vocabulary Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: saying let's make sure we are all using the same words in the same way Mm -hmm. and if that's not possible let's at least identify all the different ways this word could possibly be interpreted and the way this works is because the standards organizations are actually pulling in people from all around the world, from many different disciplines, and, and having them engage in in long discussions with each mm-hmm. other.
0: That is such an important thing, having some sort of standard to, to define what we are talking about and what we're working on and what we are trying to achieve. because. Obviously, even writing down a statement of work uh, can only make sense if we, if the person writing and the person reading it have the same idea of what it's supposed to mean. And I think it's also really, really important to have a global community working on this, especially on the international standard. Because one of the things I was thinking about, because one of the examples I used in Journey was software developer, and I got four white men. And I was thinking, but these are tools that are used by a, everyone around the world because midjourney is obviously one of the most popular mm-hmm. and everyone's using it indian people african people everyone's using it and if you look at it on this global scale quite obviously i would think that there are more dark-skinned software developers than there are white-skinned software developers nowadays just you know, just look at the indian community for example or the african community so just ha- having people from all over the world working on this uh, thought process, I think, is so important at the moment because what we're seeing is, and I, or at least I feel we're seeing this, is a complete acceleration of the tools. Every day there's a new tool coming out. I'm on a list that sends me emails every day on what new AI site has popped up and what yeah. you can do. And And I feel like a lot of them are using the same models as a basis. And it's going to skew our whole perception of the world if we don't get a grip on this
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, but unfortunately, AI has has its strength is at the same time one of the main problems. so this, mm-hmm. the strength of AI is is its ability to scale and uh, to 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 be consistent, actually. but what we're doing by developing AI systems so fast is growing out of existing structures and, and codifying them and expanding them everywhere. And mm-hmm. we're not giving ourselves enough time to stop, see what's wrong and actually fix it rather than put a little plaster over it. And, and, and this is how we end up with, yes, people have been talking about, for example, the problem of training sets and that they're not representative of the global majority, but what we're still using those data sets, because those are the easiest ones to access and uh, we don't prioritize, and this is again, we people do not prioritize, Um, we do not put the money into this, we don't put the research effort into this to make sure our data sets are representative.
0: Yeah and I feel this is very much what happened at the onset of the internet and I feel like something very similar is happening. People are seeing that there's money to be made and all of a sudden there's this avalanche of stuff coming and then we are in German, there's this, this wording of we're standing on Tönern in Füßen, which means that the whole te- and we still have that. The whole Internet yeah. is based on a technology that's completely outdated and wasn't meant to support this kind of, of environment. And I feel like we're doing something very similar, but... Bad uh, things aside, I mean, there's also this aspect that you can do a lot of good with AI, or there are people who are trying to use AI for good, and I feel that's something that you and your company are doing. So, can you tell me a little bit more about what you said you work with NGOs? What exactly you're you're doing? So,
1: actually, uh, our my company is more focused on making sure AI is good. So, uh, mm-hmm. we we say. All of the bias, discrimination, whatever you see in AI is not not an inherent part of it. It's actually a part of how you're building it or how you're deploying it. So our focus is on, on looking at the entire life cycle and saying, let's look at the beginning. What things can you fix from the very beginning so that your system will not discriminate? So obviously, one of the first things you do is you say, well, what am I trying to achieve with my system? And who's going to possibly use it or be impacted by it? And I'm always amazed at how few people even ask this question. Like, It seems pretty obvious to me that that you need to talk to other people who are going to use your system and who are going to be impacted by it. But actually, this seems to be a totally new concept. So, and But we, we encourage people to do this. By doing this, you, you recognize which risks you're gonna have when you deploy your system. And so you can build on that. How do I mitigate these risks? How do I test? Uh, once I'm deploying, what things do I need to log? What things should I continue monitoring? Um, and and so that's our focus, like okay. getting an AI system to actually do what it claims to do and to do it well. Uh, where in our view, doing it well means doing it well for everybody. It doesn't mean, okay, I just found this convenient test set; it works on that one, so I'm good to go. And and once we have that, then we can say, okay, and now I can use the AI system to. Actually, do something useful in society?
0: You're right. I think these are questions that everyone developing a new tool should be asking nowadays. I mean, I obviously also thought that this was an inherent part of the design process for everything nowadays. I mean, we have all heard about design thinking, talking to stakeholders, trying to find out what people really need. And okay, but yeah, the surprising reality seems to be that this is not the case. And I'm wondering, I mean, you mentioned NGOs, but I feel like everyone should be doing this. Every company using any kind of AI to to implement, I don't know, an HR system, whatever it is, should be considering these things. But who are your main customers? Well, right now, most of our customers are more
1: sort of research-based. So Mm -hmm. we, we do research projects together with with various customers and they can come from all sorts of branches like HR would be one but also NGOs or places like the public administration or more public-minded institutions mainly because as long as it's not required Mm -hmm. doing this kind of thing costs money And almost more important than costing money, it costs time and resources. And people feel like they don't have time for this. So fortunately, we have a regulation on the horizon, which hopefully will will sort of change this perspective and make people prioritize things like quality and fairness. Mm -hmm. But until then, it really it's really up to the, the company or institution to say, this is a priority for me and I'm going to invest in it.
0: Yeah, feels like a, a little bit like data privacy. So you have to have regulations in place so people will pay attention, even though everyone knows there should be privacy or there should be ethical AI. Nobody's prioritizing it yeah. unless they are slapped with a very huge fine if they don't. So it's good to hear that there's actually some work being done and and that their regulation is around the corner still, even after that is in place, it will still be an uphill battle, I feel. So now to, to this other part, I mean, diversity in tech, that's a big topic I feel because what we were just talking about was that we need a global community that's representative of everyone to be developing these systems and, obviously you and I, we both know there aren't many women in the field still. So what I would like to ask you is what do you enjoy about your job? Maybe that will motivate someone (laughs) that's listening to to actually also go into AI. Well, so
1: I love a lot of things about my job. And let's just say to start with, I I entered this field because I was, it enabled me to combine mathematics, some, some programming, and at the same time, the feeling that I'm doing good, which for a mathematician, I was an, and I was an abstract mathematician. This is a totally new feeling. I, I normally, I was accused of doing useless stuff. This is useful. And, and I, I love this feeling and what i also enjoy is being able to talk to people from so many different backgrounds and this is weird because i'm an introvert i if you try to talk to me just like that out of the blue you'll find me incredibly boring and reserved but having a topic and and having a focus enables me to go out and talk and ask questions about many different fields. And I'm really curious. I want to know everything, actually, from psychology, sociology, linguistics, business, engineering. It's all out there. And now it all has to do with AI. So Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's, that's great. And I constantly have to keep learning. So I, I'm never gonna I cannot say I'm bored. Just like you said, there's a new technology that comes out every day. There are hundreds of articles that come out every day and I want to be able to read them all. I can't, but it's it's still like putting a child in a candy store.
0: That's that's me. That's amazing. And I I like that the first thing that you said is that you have the feeling you're doing good because I have the impression that that a lot of women want to do something with value to society for work. So, and there's this concept that when you go into tech, it's all about numbers and there is no. You're not doing something for society, and this is the complete opposite that you're saying. And I also feel that it's true because nowadays, when you go into tech, especially into IT or the whole digitalization space, you are at the forefront of changing society. So you are actually able to do something really good, like you're doing with your company and and the topics you are addressing. And then the other thing that There's always something new to, it's not stagnant. There's always something new to do. There's always something new to learn. There's a new, always a new horizon. And it's never, it's never boring. That's also something I think that's really relevant. And people need to understand it's not just sitting in front of you. Oh yeah. And you touched on communication. That's also something. And I myself, am also an introvert. And if you see me on my podcast, you would never uh, think that, but I love talking to people and understanding what they do. Like, I love talking to you because you're doing something that's different from what I'm doing. And I'm trying to understand what is happening. And I love talking to people who can teach me something. So yeah. And I, I think that's also an, an important point. You do not have to be an extrovert to do certain things. It's enough to be just curious and, and want to learn and just have this to drive to, to change something. And you can and you will absolutely have a great job here. So thank you for for all that. And We're already coming to the end of our 30 minutes. So I'd like to wrap it off. Maybe you have some some advice for people and especially women who want to work in AI, what route they could take to join and what we need here. Well,
1: so first of all,
0: I'd like to say we need
1: women from all different kinds of backgrounds. So whatever you've studied, whether you think it's, sort of more social or, or linguistic space, or whether you think it's more engineering, all of this is useful and necessary in the AI field. And you don't feel like you're a foreigner coming into a well-established field. This is, this is the other great thing about AI, that, that it's a completely new field that it's moving so fast that even the people who have been there before you are constantly starting from scratch for some part of the technology. So use that to your advantage. And the other thing I, I, I would really like to recommend is you're you're not on this journey alone. And by now, there are so many amazing communities and networks of women who are working in technology and certainly um, in my experience here in Austria all of the networks I've been um, in contact with or am active in they're really friendly and supportive networks join whichever one and and make friends with these people because because they're your they're they're your sisters in in this field and they will
0: help and support you. Thank you for that. That's very good advice. And not just in terms of AI, it's for all the women in the tech. Join a network. Everyone, every single one I know is very supportive, just like you said. Everyone's always happy to help. And it's really but it enables you to be successful in this field and i love the fact that you mentioned that this is a new field and you can this is a space where you can go in as a career switcher we are again one of those watershed moments where people can come into the field and and be really successful no matter what their their background is and it's just more about being interested willing to learn willing to communicate and and change the world actually So thank you so much, Rania. It was a pleasure. It was absolutely interesting. I love talking to you.
1: Thank you, Ronke. It was really a pleasure talking to you.